All right, stand with us one more time. We want all of our words to be informed by, shaped by God's words, always, always. So we begin by reading Scripture and then allowing the the preaching or the testifying, in the case of today, to be shaped by these words. So hear this one beautiful exhortation, command of Scripture. Let these words kind of frame our hearing for the next few minutes together. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Through Christ, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. The word of the Lord. Okay, you can be seated. Thanks so much for being here this weekend. We're going to do something fun this morning. Instead of hearing one of our pastors preach gospel gospel from the word, we're going to allow five of you to come and talk about God's grace to you in the last year of your life. Specifically, we've asked these five folks to anchor to five of the big ideas that we've heard from the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. So here's the verse that I just read to you. This is our frame from the day. Let let us, through Christ, let us continually, regularly, all the time, habit of our lives, continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We're done with the book of Hebrews today. We took a year and four months to do it. Thank you for working through that with us. This is one of the last things that he says. The Christians who had come to Jesus out of the older covenant into the new, one of the things they would have been scratching their head about is, but what about the sacrifices? But what about the sacrifices? I've spent my whole life bringing sacrifices to God of animals, of grain, of fruit. Are you telling me that in the new covenant, there's no more sacrifices? And the answer is, there are, but they're different. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore for the forgiveness of our sins. Christ has died. Christ is risen. But there are still sacrifices to bring. In one sense, it is your whole life is now an offering to God. In another sense, there are sacrifices of praise that we bring to the Lord continually, continually, continually. Specifically, the fruit, not baskets of fruit anymore, the fruit of our voices, of our lips, what's happening in our hearts, coming out of our mouths as an act of worship to God. That's what we get to do in the gospel era continually. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, our voices acknowledging his name and giving thanks to him. So five of you are going to come and do that with us this morning. A sacrifice of words spoken, and then the band's going to lead us in a sacrifice of praise sung to God this weekend. And like I told the kids, the gratitude that should be in your heart, it needs to come out of your voice, out of your mouth. That's thanksgiving. 
Gratitude becomes praise when it comes out of your voice. So listen to our five brothers and sisters in that spirit this morning. All right, first one, I'm going to introduce each so that you know who's coming up. This is Jeremy Redden. He's going to talk about let brotherly love continue, how he has received that. Uh, Three years ago, somebody told me that there was a Christian couple from Texas living around the corner from us. It was like this great mystery that there were other Christians in our neighborhood. And so one day I was out jogging and I was running by what I thought maybe potentially could be one of their houses. And there was two sets of neighbors out front talking to each other. And I was like, it's got to be one of them. And so I just interrupted their conversation, huffing and puffing, sweating with my red face. And I said, hey, are either of you people Christians from Texas? And one of them recoiled, like jumped back like this, like, heck no, that's not me. And the other said, yeah, that's us, that's us. In the last couple of years, Jeremy and Chelsea, their daughters, Annabelle and Eve and Bella, have become a part of our family here. Just a massive gift of God's grace that I have gratitude for and give thanksgiving of praise for. Uh, Jeremy's going to talk with us. He is as steady and earnest and reliable of a young man that I have met in years. It's unbelievable. A couple of months ago, Grace woke me up from a dead sleep. She was like three inches from my face, middle of the night, and she told me, Jeremy just had a serious seizure. I'm going down to be with the girls. I need you to get up and be aware of what's happening. And so Grace ran down the hill and was with the girls while the EMTs crashed into the house and... Uh, served and got him to the hospital to get some care. And so in the last few months, they have been dealing with this seizure that he had and saying, how does this change our life? And what he's going to talk with you about is how the church has loved him through this experience. So Jeremy Redden. All right. Sorry for that long intro, brother. Thanks, Pat. Is this a drop-proof mic? If you want to hear from the other four guys. I mean, I... I, I don't know. So, so anyway, thanks, thanks, Matt, for the introduction. But are you going to let me talk? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. So, um, anyway, thankfulness. Um, I, I am extremely thankful for God's grace in this season of uh, of my family's life. Um, Matt, thanks for starting it off uh, with some, with the background, but. Yeah, so I, I, I did have a seizure, and uh, they did some testing and, and found out that I was diagnosed with um, temporal lobe epilepsy, which is actually the best news possible. Um, when they did the MRI, EEG, they didn't discover anything abnormal. Um, so I'm clear of that, and I'm tremendously grateful and thankful for that. Uh, that's a huge, a huge blessing, really. Um, but when, when I think of letting brotherly love continue... Um, I think of Seven Mile, and Seven Mile ha- has been doing that and is doing that still in, in, um, in my family's life right now. And, and so um, what does that look like? So let me pull up this list here, sorry. Um, so anyway, you guys have been loving us in, in, in so many different ways, um, and this is what it looks like. So uh, the night of the seizure itself, you know, Grace came down at midnight. Came down and, and just sat with the kids. So while, while the ambulance took Chelsea and I off to the hospital, that was incredible. Um, 
and I know Jill came over at some point after that to take over for her. And during the during the seizure, you know, I, I bit my lip, uh, my tongue. I was there's blood on the sorry for the details, but there's blood on the bed sheets. And, and and Jill cleaned the bed sheets, she folded laundry, so that when my mom arrived the next day, she didn't have to see it or deal with it. Um, that that was huge. Um, Jeremy sitting. <laughs> so because I I've, have epilepsy. Um, I can't really be left alone with the girls um, too, too much. So I usually work from home on Fridays with the girls. And uh, uh, my boy Tyler over here, has a, ha, he, he works from home as well. And he's, he's sacrificed his time to work from my home with, with me and the kids on Fridays. And that's, that's been tremendous. It's, it's huge, and I'm very thankful for that. Transportation. One of the limitations of, of epilepsy is I, I, I can't drive it six months after after a seizure so uh, we're very limited in that Chelsea's carried a huge load um, by driving us doing basically doing everything for us at this point but um, of course thankful for, for you honey but uh, we've, we've had a lot of help in transportation taking me to and from work um, getting the girls to ballet on Fridays uh, thank you to, to all for, that have helped for that as well um, Mills Mills and more mills. So, uh, Jill and Katie put together a mill chain for us, and so many of you have have contributed on on Friday, sending us mills, and uh, we're very thankful for that. That's a huge burden burden off of our, our shoulders. Um, we got we all got the stomach bug a few weeks ago, and Chelsea's down and out completely. I, I I'm almost there. I'm not there yet. The next day I would be, but I can't drive. I can't go get stuff. So, you know, at Jamie Sparling went to the store to get us some Gatorade, which was all we were looking for, but she comes back with Hawaiian bread and chicken soup and things that we weren't even thinking about. And so she not only served us, she did. She went above and beyond that. She thought about our needs and, and met them, needs we didn't even know we had. Um, and just general, general expressions of genuine concern for our well-being as a family, um, just hear people asking about us, checking in on us. It's huge. Um, not only, not only are these moments of self-sacrifice uh, and su- supportive and encouraging to us, they're also r- reminders, and uh, they're pictures and reminders of, of God's, uh, of the gospel of Christ and how he put himself before, before us. And uh, for that, I am supremely, supremely thankful. So, anyway, thank, thanks, Seven Mile. Let brotherly love continue. Let's be that way together. All right, next, Colin Alexander is going to come up and talk about do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. If you have not spent time with Colin yet, you need to do this. He has boundless energy and a mouth that keeps up with all of that energy. It's unbelievable. Uh, Everything immediately gets more fun, more lively, more energetic if Colin is added to the mix, and that is a gift to us. He also ate the biggest bucket of popcorn I have ever seen a freshman in high school eat. The other night at the movie theater, I saw the picture. It was bigger than his head. He's going to come and talk about loving kids who are new into the life of our church, and he's going to come up here with his dad. All right, let's do it. So I think we decided to tag team this um, a little bit and talk about hospitality. Um, Hospitality is huge uh, for our home, um, and I don't know why. Um, part of it goes back to, I think, uh, my own father 
uh, and the way that he continually opened his home uh, for other people um, and how he had set an example for me um, and my wife. Um, she is constantly encouraging me to open our home, open our lives uh, to other people. Um, hospitality is hard. Sometimes we think about it in, uh, like Wednesday, right? We are running around all morning doing what? Cleaning. Cleaning, right? Because we had people coming over. So normally you think about hospitality and you're getting everything ready. You're pulling out the dishes. You're inviting people into your home. Um, but hospitality is more than that. Hospitality is not just welcoming people into a home, giving them a bed to sleep in, uh, giving them a, a seat at the table, um, what we have tried to model, what we've tried to live is hospitality is opening our lives to other people. And it doesn't always have to be pretty. Um, it doesn't always have to be all neat with the laundry put away. Um, and, and we have tried to do that successfully sometimes, unsuccessfully a, a lot. Um, and showing hospitality is hard. Um, it's hard because, um, at least for me when I was thinking about it, um, it means I'm not going to get things done that I want to get done. If I'm going to take time to show hospitality to others, uh, it means giving up things I want to do. It, it costs. Um, it costs time. Sometimes it costs money to show hospitality. Um, it's an interruption to my own priorities and the things that I want to get done. And it's sometimes an inconvenience. Um, it's hard when people need a place to stay for a night, a week, a month, a year, and that eats into, um, it eats into our lives. But what I've learned um, from living hospitality with my family um, and with others far outweighs any of these difficulties and any of these things we've had to give up. Um, I have learned so much from the people who have stayed in our home, who have been in our home. I have been challenged to get out of myself. I tend to be an introvert. Um, and my wife forcing me to, to show hospitality has really caused me to be open to other people and to learn uh, from other people. Um, hospitality also, uh, for me, um, it's reminded me that everything I have um, isn't mine and that all of it belongs to God. And when we, I think sometimes when we, when we reshape our, our minds around that or, or can grasp that, it's super easy to give up the things we have when we realize that they're not ours to begin with. And also in showing hospitality, whether it's our community, our community group, the gospel community in our home, or being with them in their homes, uh, it reminds me that even when we're showing hospitality, we're still guests to the other people. We may be providing something to them, but they're welcoming us into their lives. And for me, the biggest thing I've learned is that in showing hospitality, I'm reminded that God has been the ultimate host for us. That he has welcomed me when I was a stranger into his family. He has given of, of all that he has for me. Um, and that's been amazing. Um, I have learned so much over the time we've been here in our gospel community um, about opening our lives to each other. Uh, when we came here um, there was a lot of baggage that we came, and our gospel community and the way they have loved, the way they have opened their lives, I mean, the way those guys have opened their lives to us um, has been amazing. Um, and it's been a huge blessing, uh, not just the last year, but the last three, almost four years. 
uh, to be hosted by uh, some amazing people and be welcomed into their lives. So I feel I was given the harder job of this time because <laughs> I have to figure out how this relates to the youth ministry. And I was thinking, right, that at one point we were all the new kid at a school or somewhere, and there was probably someone who came and talked to you and, like, made you feel welcome. And that's hospitality. Like, it's not just what happens at your home and how you treat people there. It's how you treat people anywhere where you spend time and love on people. Sarah B is going to talk about this beautiful command that we learn to trust your leaders and submit to them. Uh, pastors are not supposed to play favorites. So I am not allowed to tell you that Sarah Bita is one of my favorite women in the history of Seven Mile Road. We spent a year together in Kalos Track and became like a brother and sister spending that year in the gospel. She is devoted to her husband and to her sons and to the good of our church. She is a no-nonsense, straightforward, let's get it done, if I said it, I meant it kind of girl. There would be no seven-mile road without her and Felipe, who she refers to by his last name as Bita, which was the cutest things in the church, and the many, many, many ways that they serve us together. Um, so she's going to come and share about God's grace in interacting with her pastors in the last year. Um, so I am not so good at speaking in front of large crowds of people, so excuse me if I just read off a page. Um, so I was asked to speak about Hebrews um, thirteen seventeen and God's grace to me recently regarding trusting and submitting to our leaders. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. For me, it's been easier to trust in God's providence and that God has a plan for me. It's been harder to trust other people. It's hard to have people tell you what to do, and it's really hard to have someone say no to you or to say wait to you. So I'm going to tell you two stories about how I've had to really trust in the leadership of our pastors recently, and sometimes it was easy, but more often it wasn't easy, and I've had the pastors tell me no or tell me wait. Um, so about a year and a half ago, we had a really solid group for our gospel community. We had five families, a few single people, and we were meeting together with regular rhythms when the men would meet, the women would meet, and we would have meals as a big group together, and it was working pretty well. Then some changes happened, some slowly, some very quickly, but all of a sudden we looked at our group and it looked nothing like it used to. We had some new members, but we lost a lot of members. We had a family move to Virginia, and then another family moved to Virginia, then a woman moved to North Carolina, then a man moved to Boston, then another man got a new job at a church in Boston, a man moved to New Hampshire, then a family, which included our group's leaders, moved to North Carolina. Total, there were 18 people that left our gospel community over the course of about a year and a half. Um, and these were people we had spent time with, shared meal, meals with, studied the Bible with, prayed with, cried with, and just shared our lives with. Um, our group was hanging on, but honestly, we were a little bit lost. 
We had also gained some new people, but we were struggling to figure out what our group was going to look like and how it was going to function in its new form with significantly less people. So these concerns were brought to our pastors, and they knew we didn't have a group leader and that our group was in need of support. And the answer they gave was basically, just hold on, just wait a while. Well, it was hard to wait, and if you know me at all, I like order, and I like schedules, and I like knowing what to put on my calendar, and for a long time, I knew every other Wednesday, I'd meet with the women at Panera, and the first Sunday of the month, we'd have a group meal, Um, and then for months, there was no consistency, and I didn't know what to put on my calendar. Um, I didn't know what day we were meeting, if we were meeting at all, and since there were so few of us, if someone was out of town, not feeling well, had a sick child, we would end up just not meeting at all. Our group had a lot of unanswered questions while we were waiting. Would we get new members to our group? If so, who would they be? Would we get split up from the remaining members we had? So we had to trust that our pastors had a plan for our group. What I didn't know was that there were some people getting ready to get into a gospel community or thinking about getting into a gospel community, and they were in a class to better own the DNA of Seven Mile Road. The pastors were making a path for them to join so they could be excited to jump right into our gospel community group. I didn't know the, the bigger plan for our group, but I did know that our pastors love us, and I trusted them to help make our group thrive. I trusted the pastor le- pastor's leadership, even if it messed up my calendar. In the past few weeks, we have added more people to our group, and we're working through starting some new rhythms. Um, and even though the newest version of our gospel community hasn't really hit our stride yet, I know that the pastors love us and are keeping watch over our souls as we work out these new rhythms. And then a second example is a little more personal. Um, About a year and a half ago, Seven Mile Road was planning a baptism service. My then seven-year-old son, Ezra, was hearing announcements and such about the upcoming baptism service and asked me about getting baptized. Well, as a mom, what's better than your kid telling you that they love Jesus? Felipe and I were pretty pumped, um, and we asked Matt about the possibility of having Ezra baptized. He responded very graciously, but basically said that at Seven Mile, we have tended to not baptize kids that young and have waited until kids are older. He also gave us a bunch of resources that gave a broad perspective and landed in different places about baptizing younger kids. But the overall answer landed somewhere between no, wait, and let's talk about it more. And it was hard to hear that answer. It was hard to hear wait and to submit to our pastors about this. Um, And to be honest, it hurt my pride a little. Like, what do you mean? You're going to tell me what to do with my own kid. Um, My son said he loves Jesus. Let's run with this. Um, But Felipe and I had to really take a step back and submit to to his leadership as our pastor. Um, And I know that Hebrews tells us that our pastor's job is to keep watch over our souls and that they, and I know that they are doing things with purpose. So all of these examples to say that, yes, it is hard to trust others, and it's hard to submit to the leadership of pastors, but Matt and Tim and Matt really do love me, and they really do love each of you, Um, and it's a huge gift and a huge grace that God has given them to our church. Thanks, Sarah. All right, Brian Sparling. Keep your life free from the love of money. 
It's very difficult to know if Brian and Jamie have been at Seven Mile Road for a year and a half or like 20 years. You just can't tell because from the minute that they got here, literally, they just began loving and serving and caring for and hosting people. If there is someone who is new to the life of the church and I see that they are having a conversation with Brian and Jamie in the morning, it's a 100% guarantee at least that they come back one more time. There's no question about that because of their warmth. Uh, They bought a house on West Wyoming. Is that the name of it? East Wyoming Street. It has the longest backyard in the history of backyards, longer than a rugby pitch. You could have a complete game back there. And that has become a very central place for gospel advance in the life of our church because of their generousness to open their home and their backyard to our people and to people in our cities. Uh, Just a warning, Brian also has the deepest, smoothest radio voice that you have ever heard before. I bet his daughter Abby and his son Thomas soon, uh, his son uh, soon will be sound asleep, Andrew, sound asleep, just like, go dog, go, boom, sound asleep. That's what I think happens in that home. So pinch yourself so you don't fall asleep to his smooth 106.7 voice, and he's going to talk about the Spirit's grace with this command for us together. Yeah. How now, brown cow? No. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that introduction, Matt. Um, uh, so, you know, just to begin, uh, since Jamie and I have been together, uh, we've always trusted that God would provide for us and our growing family. But it, always, it hasn't always been easy for us. You know, several years ago, um, you know, I was in grad school and both of us were living off of our off of my paltry grad student stipend, and and we were racking up enormous amounts of debt uh, through Jamie being in medical school. Um, It would have been very easy for us to focus our lives on money um, at this time. Uh, However, the thing about money and centering your life around money is that you can never have enough. You're always wanting more of it. Instead, you know, we focused our lives um, on, uh, you know, surrounding ourselves with other Christians and having fellowship with them. We had an amazing small group and an amazing community of believers that we shared our lives with. Um, one of the key uh, messages from God uh, for our lives has been that of kingdom resources, that you know, whatever passes through our lives, our homes, and our checkbook uh, should be, that, should be uh, furthering um, his kingdom. Um, and it was just through the grace of our fellow believers, um, you know, our brothers and the generosity of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that we were able to, you know, shun money and keep our hearts from it. Instead, you know, our hearts belonged to God, and we trusted that he would provide for us. And now, um, you know, I can safely say that God has surely blessed us, uh, given us the jobs that he has called us to have, and has provided for us financially. And now, you know, having our lives centered on Jesus, it just makes sense for us to give generously to, you know, the brothers and sisters, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, uh, you know, uh, not just time, or not just money and material, but also time and intimacy. And, uh, you know, this is one area of our lives that, you know, we're continually, you uh, you know, asking God for obedience, but... You know, I can say that, you know, um, our love of God and our love for all of you um, definitely brings joy to our heart that no dollar amount can replicate. 
So thank you. All right, one more. Amy Robinson, God's grace to her in this beautiful truth, let marriage be held in honor among all. Um, so you know that we wrote a field guide, like how did all this happen and what does it mean to be Seven Mile Road, a manuscript. So I'm going to read to you. Amy made the book. <laughs> I was joking with her about that. I'm just going to read to you as an intro to give you a flair of some of what's in, in, this, in this field guide. But also, I think this will be a good intro for you. So this will be a little bit longer, but, and it, I'm, I'm reading now, so hear, these, hear this a little bit differently. All right. Jacob and Amy are the kind of people that got, oh, this is in the chapter about generosity, about thinking of others more than yourself. So that's the frame for this anecdote from our church. All right. Jacob and Amy are the kind of people that God brings into your life to blur the line that you thought existed between friend and family. They moved from Portland, Oregon. Did I say that right? No? Close. The land of arboretums, meadowlarks, and fir trees to West Medford, the home of Italian bakeries, concrete playgrounds, and the West Medford business suit because Jacob had landed his first job as a registered nurse. They both assumed that they were stepping into the short-term adventure of living in an exotic place that they would one day tell fanciful tales of before heading back west. They arrived at Seven Mile Road when we were like an infant in the NICU, our church, unsure if we were going to make it another week. Immediately, they gave themselves to the frequency required for gospel advance. They had our family of four at the time. It was just me, Grace, Matt, and Brandon. No Julia or Callie yet. Over to their cozy second floor apartment for dinner. And beginning with that meal, our friendship blossomed from get to know you to take a bullet for you. A few years into their time with us, they hit the decision point that The Clash famously sang about. It's the one that every sane, fruitful, and upwardly mobile family in our area has to make. Should we stay or should we go? I was braced for the worst. Another one of our most deeply loved, missionally-minded, disciple-making families was going to move south or west. Trulia was going to tell me that their new home was five bedrooms and three bathrooms on two acres. Christmas cards would come in in which I would barely recognize their quickly growing kids. One step forward, one step back, the waltz of the Bostonian church plant. I'll never forget hearing Jacob then say these words. We're buying a house. In Saugus, I wept like the staffers at Hillary Clinton's campaign headquarters the night that <laughs> Donald Trump won. They decided not to leave. They knew about the angry drivers and the endless winters and the sticker shock when leaving the grocery store. 
But they bought a house in Saugus anyway, saying, and this is the, the thing that the chapter's anchored around, we're in as long as it takes, however many years that is, to see Jesus do something beautiful through this church. It was a watershed moment for my soul and for our church. Wait, you mean that people who didn't start here can finish here? You mean there is more to life than maximizing square footage and the square footage of your home and minimizing your car insurance bill? You mean sometimes all the frequency in the world is not enough if it's not joined with a certain amount of longevity? They were the first folks, folks who had ever moved from just passing through to here to stay, and I will love them for it forever. All right, so those are the words from our field guide. Amy's going to come and talk about God's grace to them in their marriage. Oregon, Oregon, I don't know. Help me. The E is just there to make the O say O. You don't pronounce the E. (laughs) That was a nicer introduction than I deserve. (laughs) Thank you. Um, As Matt told you, I'm Amy, um, and I really love being married. Uh, Jacob and I have been happily married for 17 years. I know that's ancient to some, and it's more like we're toddlers to others of you. Um, But it's enough time to have journeyed through some really hard things and some really wonderful things. Some of those happen simultaneously. (laughs) Um, At the risk of putting ourselves under kind of a microscope, I actually wanted to share with you that we're in a bit of a harder season right now in our marriage. Um, The last couple of years have been kind of crazy. There have been deaths in our family, job stresses, we're on the unexpected adventure of homeschooling. (laughs) We've talked and prayed over a lot of things and seen repeatedly God's kindness and faithfulness to our family. Um, And we now find ourselves in a season where we're just not connecting as easily. And conflict, um, resolving conflict has been really challenging. Um, And we're needing to put some long overdue work into our marriage. And a lot of that work falls into the categories Um, the hard categories of vulnerability and humility. Um, So I asked Jacob for his thoughts on our marriage. (laughs) He said a couple of things. One, people are hard to live with, so marriage is hard, but I wouldn't want to live with anyone but you, which is pretty wonderful considering how difficult I can be. (laughs) But I wasn't shocked that he said it because of how he continues to treat me day in and day out. Um, Second, he reminded me of something the pastor at our wedding said all those years ago. He looked at each of us and he said, if the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is, and if the Holy Spirit is in you, and he is, and if you come to him, he's not going to fight with himself. (laughs) Um, So we are in a bit of a harder season, um, but it's also a good season where we get to choose to honor God and our marriage and each other. Um, By coming to the Holy Spirit and clinging to God's grace while doing the work he has very generously given to us. Um, We have every reason to hope. Uh, He's for us 
he's most certainly for our marriage because he designed it as a reflection of the glory of Christ and his bride. Um, I'm so grateful to say um, that being married is good and hard and good and really worth it. Thank you so much. We wanted you to hear that, just acknowledging um, God's name, his grace to us, that he is for us in the gospel. We, we also want you to please understand that being a part of a church is not only about coming and listening to someone else and maybe learning something and leaving, but it is actually your life being redeemed day by day, by moment by moment, by God for his glory and for your deeper joy than the world offers. And we want you to see your life as one where if you were asked to get up and talk, whether or not you're a talker, you would be able to point to things and say, God has been good to me in this place, and my gratitude toward him is going to come out in thanksgiving to him. So let's just pause together and pray, thank him for our brothers and sisters that he is at work in, and ask him to do that more and deeper in our hearts this year, this Christmas especially. Father, your commands are good to us. And I know we, we want to break free from your law. We don't want to hear it. We want to do what we want to do. But when you command us to let brotherly love continue, when you command us to not neglect showing hospitality to strangers, when you command us to be free of the love of money, when you command us to trust and to work with and to follow the lead of those that you have given in authority in our lives. When you call us to let marriage be honored among all. There's life in obedience. There's life in saying yes to what you call us to. So I pray that you would forgive us for our rebellion and our sin and our unbelief. And work in us a love for you and a trust for you in all things. Jesus, if your gospel doesn't get out of the walls of this church into our marriages, into our tables, into our conversations, into our checking accounts, into our disposition toward our pastors, what good is it? I pray that the gospel would advance in the hearts and the minds and the souls of individuals in our church and folks that we have not met yet that they would be swept into the glory of gospel-centered obedience this year like never before. I pray that you would bear with us in our weakness, in our stumbling, in our need, that we would know that in all things you are working them together for the good of those who love you and who acknowledge your name. And we are asking in humble prayer this morning that you would make this true for all of us. Hear my prayer and answer. Amen.